0: We would be honored if you would join us.
1: What's up, Far Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio archive So, how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy, because there's really nothing new going out here on the Outer Rim. Everybody is just arguing as usual. Now it's just about what's the best Star Wars show. Which I think is crazy. That's like comparing apple and oranges. You can't compare Book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan Kenobi to Andor and Mandalorian. They are totally different types of shows. Well maybe not Mandalorian because it's the same type of show with a better storyline. But Andor is a totally different type of Star Wars show. It's like comparing an animated show to a live action show. Two totally different things. One was made for kids another one for adults. Unless you're like me and just a big kid. That's the wonderful thing about star wars right now we have so much new content so it is okay not to like something in star wars i have never been a big fan of resistance i've watched it several times and it never really did it for me but i would never put down someone else for liking it shoot we had christopher sean on lightsaber radio he is the voice of the main character in resistance and he was one of the coolest guys i've ever interviewed but that isn't gonna make me like the show more And why do people say someone is not a true star wars fan unless they like everything that star wars has ever made that's ridiculous just because you are a fan of star wars doesn't mean you have to like every project in star wars look i love legends books and some people won't even read or listen to them because they're not canon so how can they say they're a star wars fan they're still star wars books no matter how you look at it but i'm pretty sure that there's enough star wars to go around so there's no need to put someone down just because they didn't care for a particular part If you don't like everything in Star Wars, there's nothing wrong with that. Consume the content you like. But you gotta remember that if there's a conversation about Star Wars being held, your knowledge might be limited because you didn't consume something, and that's on you. So that's the question for this week. Hit me up and let me know all the things that you like and dislike about Star Wars. And don't worry, you won't be judged by what you say. We don't do that here at Sway. As always, you can email us or go to the contact page on the website. Either way counts towards the giveaway that is coming up in a couple of weeks. And you can give the Star Wars Impossible Quiz a go. We have already posted a couple and these questions are very hard. So you might want to give it a try. See what you know about Star Wars. Okay, so now what do we got for uh, news and rumors today? So the first thing that I'm going to cover, I got some inside information from a colleague at Lucasfilms. Films. We have all heard the rumor that Bob Iger is firing Kathleen Kennedy. So my peeps are telling me that they haven't heard anything about it from within the walls of Disney. They are saying that Miss Kennedy is actually super excited about his return and was quoted saying, now things can get back to normal. So I'm going to state that this is just a rumor. Bob is not firing Kathleen anytime soon from the information that I'm getting. Hey, real quick, anytime you want to get some more news during the week, you can go to the website where you will be able to find all the latest news around the web. We are really trying to make the website your one-stop shop for everything Star Wars. Now what else did we have for today? Oh, I really wanted to talk about this. In a conversation with StarWars.com, Tony Gilroy, the creator of Andor, talked about bringing the series to life. Spoiler warning, if you haven't watched all of Andor yet, you might want to skip ahead, because this next part contains story details and plot points from the entire first season of Andor. We all know that Andor isn't like any other Star Wars that we've come to know. It announces this to us in the opening scenes, which we find Andor skulking forward in the rain. He is heading towards a brothel, and a few minutes later he accidentally kills a local officer before deliberately killing another one. As far as the inciting incidents go, this is a far cry from bickering droids escaping Darth Vader and his forces, which is all to say that Andor was a gamble for Disney and Lucasfilm. The Disney Plus original series doubled down on the grounded tone of Rogue One, taking the galaxy far far away to a far more real world, a more destructive place than ever before. But for Tony, the Rogue One co-writer and creator of this series, changing from what Star Wars typically is, never gave him a second thought. This is what he told StarWars.com. I don't worry about that at all. I worry about the storytelling. I worry about the logics of it. I worry about the plotting. I worry about the characters. I worry about the story making sense and tying together. And it seems to have worked out for Tony, as Andor has a great rating with both critics and fans. The 12-episode series follows Cassie in five years before the events of Rogue One as circumstance takes him from the drifter loner to imperial prisoner and finally to a believer in the start of the rebellion against the empire, without a single mention of the Force or Jedi, and Lucasfilms and Disney were okay with that. Tony said, I think everyone was kind of aware that there was not only opportunity, but a need for a new lane. If there's billions of beings in the galaxy, surely there's billions of stories, and they don't all have to do with lightsabers and Jedi. I mean, other people are living their lives, regular, real people. After Gilroy developed the basic concept for Andor, Diego met with him in New York, where the two discussed what the series would be. Tony said, Luna, for his part, was eager to get it going. He's just an absolute perfect collaborator. He's rational, he's imaginative, he's energized, he's passionate from the very beginning about everything that we were doing. A large part of what Gilroy was doing was defining what the rebellion looks like and the cost involved. For the three principal heroes of the series, Cassian, Luthen, and Malmothra, Andor suffers in numerous ways, Luthen sacrifices some of his morality, and Ma makes an impressible choice involving her daughter. These are all regular real people, and the cascade of events is beyond their control and is coming after them. If the title hadn't been used before, you could have almost called the show The Winds of War. It's coming, everything is coming, and these events are just rolling over everyone, Tony says. How people make the decisions, and watching them make these decisions, that matters, and in typical Andor fashion, even the starring droid feels real. B2EMO, the box-shaped android family droid, is charming, fussy, and insecure. But he is getting up there in the years. As such, B2 needs to charge in order to lie and speak with a stutter. Fans love him. The idea was that it was a dog, Gilroy says, an older dog. He credits creature effects supervisor Neil Scanlon and the creature department with developing a design quickly, noting that they only looked at a few drawings before picking what would become B2. When Gilroy and the collaborators saw the prototype in Pinewood studio, it was love at first sight. We were all smiling tony said on set veteran star wars puppeteer david chapman operated b2 and performed the voice the plan was always to cast an actor and re-record the droid's dialogue but things changed tony said he had a list of audition pieces and he was watching a bunch of them but his brother was there watching him with him and he goes i'm not hearing anything here i like as much as they. the guy's really good and they went back and said let's just keep him so that's his voice and that was a great phone call to make to call him up and go, it's yours. You are going to be the voice of this thing. One of the hallmarks of Andor's gritty approach to Star Wars was his sense of realism and all of the messiness—not just the storytelling, but in the action. In one of the series' earlier set pieces, Cassian and Luthen, who barely know each other, engage in a shootout with pre more agents. But it's not the blaster fire that they have to look out for. It was a series of chains and pulleys falling from above and the machinery that they were hooked up to lifting up into the air and crashing back down. Tony said, I've done action now for a long, long time, so I know that there is a key to it. Well, there are several keys to it. To have a very specific place and have a very specific set of limitations to work against. The best action scenes are the ones that have the most character conflict in them. Overarching other parts of it is air. Gero is quick to point out two other major sequences that illustrate this concept. Mid-season, Cassian is locked away in an Imperial prison and finally leaves a revolt after it is clear that the inmates will never be released. The prisoners have to climb up and out of the room and it's not so easy for all that is involved. In the prison for me, the key to the sequence is when the kid jumps onto the rail and it breaks from his weight. That little bit of reality, that error. It is the hook for me to get involved, and each action scene over the course of the season was designed to be distinctive. You always have to have a hook, Tony says. There has to be something different about it. Aldani has a hook. The funeral has a hook. Every action scene that we were doing has a hook to it. It has something special about it. That something special Etho would apply to the series concept in general. And for Cassian, that wasn't always a good thing. Like all things Empire, the Imperial prison holding Cassian has an especially nasty twist. The floor can be electrified at a moment's notice. It is an unsettling detail that you can appreciate on the storytelling level. It also illustrates the Empire's menacing use of fear. Gilroy and his collaborators worked hard to come up with this very unique scene. Tony said, because we spent a couple of days on the prison. Once the concept emerged, the team became energized. The moment that the idea hit the air, everyone was all over it. So then it was, oh my God. So if the floor is like that, well, the guards would have to wear these rubber boots. And then at one point, the boots become the whole thing, getting the boots to get out. In the end, and maybe the season's most thrilling sequences, Cassian devises a plan to flood the floor, shorting it out. The prisoners overtake the guards, climb up to the roof and leap into the water below in order to swim to their freedom. Star Wars.com asks if Kino Loy, Andy Serkis, the grumpy floor manager who became a leader in the escape, made the jump. We never see him do it on the screen. I loved him so much, Gilroy says. I don't know the answer. We will never find out. Maybe we will. Yeah, that sounds like something that he would say just to keep us confused. Though the sequence is successful, there's one aspect of the electrified prison that Gilroy isn't sure was a good idea. It is terrifying to think that someday that someone may build a prison like that based on what we designed. He said jokingly, yeah but it is kind of creepy, if they ever built a prison like that, ooh that would suck. That's the one thing that they were worried about. Then we have the Ferrix funeral and rebellion. The season ends on a doubly powerful note. A funeral procession on Ferrix for Marva, Cassian's adopted mother, followed by a full-scale revolt against the Imperial occupation. The clash is prompted by a holographic speech from Marva, who shouts fight the Empire right before a brick made of her ashes is used for a weapon. Through the closing of the season was actually the first element of the series Gilroy worked on, particularly the music. For the procession, Gilroy was adamant that the on-screen actors, not professional musicians, play the music on real instruments and that it all be recorded on set. Knowing how important the sequence would be, he collaborated with composer Nicholas Brittle on the funeral's music two years before the series started shooting, eventually creating a seven-minute piece. This is a piece of their ancient traditions, StarWars.com. This is a piece that is not just about Marva or Cassian. It's about all the people of Ferrix, And this is a tradition that all of them would know and that all of them would naturally connect with. So the sound had to be something that hopefully felt like it was almost part of their tradition. It meant something to them. And that is the precursor to all of them coming together. The funeral came alive to me through the civic procession, and it really helped me advance the personality of Ferrix and the depth of it. The fact that these people really cared for each other. The music in turn inspired Marva's monologue which became a call to arms that just had enriched everything and the season comes to a close. Cassian had left with Luthen, ready to commit itself to the rebellion. But with Ma working essentially on her own and the Saw of the galaxy doing things their own way, the rebellion is still splintered. The landscape sets the stage for what's to come. One of our happiest, proudest things in the show is when Diego is listening back to Nemec's manifesto. He opens Nemec's manifesto the night before the funeral, and Nemec is in the manifesto saying, we're going to win because oppression is a natural, and freedom is a natural thing. He has a whole big speech about how the acts of rebellion are springing up across the galaxy. He says, all the people that are out there trying to make a rebellion, and they're all atomized and spread out. So the show is really about watching this thing merge together and in the end they will fuse into the rebels. The consequences of that is good and bad for the people who are contributing the most to make it happen. Tony leaves us with one question as he looks ahead to the second season of Andor. And that is one of the things that we are really most interested in. He said, What happened to the original gangsters who are no longer so presentable to the community? And that's one heck of a question to leave us with. But I also think it's a warning of what's to come. But I think it's about time that we get to Brotherhood. Because when we left off last week, Obi-Wan had just called Anakin. He tells Anakin to get in touch with Dex so Dex can look over some scans and then get back to him with the results. So let's find out what's happening now.
0: Mill Alabeth. Strange that here, amid the devastation of war, Mill felt at peace. Not when she looked around at the broken buildings, or walked alongside armored soldiers who all looked exactly the same without their helmets. Sure, they had little differences, hair, scars. Some even had tattoos. But still, All those same faces and voices, all with massive rifles. And they were so... obedient. Anakin had revealed that he'd grown up enslaved, and now he was a Jedi commanding clones bred for war. The whole thing unnerved Mel. Yet when she'd asked the clones to leave her here for a few extra minutes, she'd been given space. And suddenly the universe made sense to her. In fact, she cracked open the door to the Force. And rather than it flooding her, she found herself in its currents, letting it guide her to kneel down, open her medpack, and stretch out her feelings just like they taught her at the temple. The family of Garal's siblings remained quiet, perhaps not too trusting of the large soldiers that roamed their neighborhoods. The scars of violence proved to be too unsettling, despite the fact that their loud shuttles and huge transports carried supplies. With this family, though, only two things mattered. The cough of an infant too young to speak, and the leg of the eldest sibling where something that caused the normally scaly, light-gray skin to turn soft and oozing. For the infant, The Force guided Mill with the proper time to smack its back between its two shoulder scoots after it coughed, ejecting the dust that had tickled its throat. Connecting with the Force, it turned out, had its advantages. As for the eldest, it would require something more. I have bacta, she said, tapping the canister at her feet. Though Initiates only learned rudimentary first aid by her age, one thing she discovered was that Bacta often did the healing part on its own. It was the fear and pain that needed to be managed. Mel approached her, a 30-year-old girl named Rokura, who was a mere adolescent, given the long lifespans of the Garo. Scared is, Rakura said and a tremble ran through her thick neck ridges, sweat caking her thick black hair. Limb pain feel, Back to help, not enough. Mill nodded, understanding the broken basic. Above her, blaster bolts had torn holes in buildings, if the building still stood. Some of them didn't, only their foundations remaining. Dust tossed in the air, harsh enough that it got in her hair and tickled her horns. On her arms, flecks of Langston sand covered her tan wrist. In the Jedi Temple, even on the Cruiser, war seemed so far away, but here it almost drew Mill out. Rokura moaned in pain, the infection in her leg likely making her delirious. She trembled when Mill put a cool cloth to her forehead, kicking out at the youngling. The commotion stirred the baby, a cry that quickly turned into coughing but settled with a few breaths, the debris and grit no longer in its lungs. One thing at a time. Mill closed her eyes and looked through the force. The city's residents appeared in swirling colors, not quite the level of suffering she'd felt on Kirune Muria. This was calmer, like they'd gotten used to their situation. But here, Rakura spiked in her vision shades of red in the form of a Garol girl. girl. Mill put a hand over Rakura's head, then breathed. And in that breath, an instinct arose as if the force were a warm blanket, and Mill draped it around Rakura's ravaged body. I will help you, she whispered without prompting or thought. And as if on command, the girl's trembling stopped, her breath steadying. Mill blinked, an awakening similar to snapping out of a deep sleep. It took several seconds for her to return to the present. Recent actions, already a hazy memory. She knew what happened, but the how and why seemed inscrutable. But Rokura still needed practical aid. Mill stood up and applied Bacta in swift movements. The wound fizzed as the Bacta's microbiotics activated immediately upon contact. She'll need to be still for a few minutes. She said to the family before going back over and putting her hand over Rokura's forehead again. Rest. She said in a clear, direct voice. Her eyes closed, letting herself sink deep enough into the force that all of the surrounding distress lit her senses like beacons within a thousand meter radius. Then she heard a voice through the ether, a chanting like rhythm Mill, 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 Mill! It was Anakin. Shaken out of her trance, Mill stood up. The tails of her Jedi tunic tinted by layers of Langston's blue dust. R2-D2 chirped and whirred next to her. And though she didn't yet understand the astromech, it felt like a lecture about paying attention. Master Skywalker, I... we need to go. Why didn't you come back with the clones? He squinted, finally realizing the scene around him. Next to Mill, Rukura's siblings scooted back in the shadow of the tall Jedi. They needed help, Mill said, and they were afraid when the clones were here. They had just seen the clones fighting battle droids a week ago, and the battle did this. She gestured to the broken buildings around them. To their home. She pointed down at the resting Garl girl, now with closed eyes and deep regular breaths. She needed back to and something to settle her nerves. You did this? Anakin asked, kneeling down to inspect the situation more closely. I'm sorry, Master Skywalker. I know it was disobeying commands, it's just... How could she possibly explain this strange ability? The way hurt and agony became part of her field of vision, like a thermal sensor on a scope. They needed help, and they were scared. They've already lost their parents in the fighting. We need to go. But, Anakin said softly, you did the right thing. You're not mad? Mill didn't mean to respond with such surprise, but even the Padawans she'd been around seemed so stuck on the rules. And that came from all the older Jedi. But Anakin was different. She knew this from their first conversation. The Jedi aren't perfect, and sometimes we have to work around that. His head tilted, a thoughtful look on his face. You connected with the Force? I let it in, yes, Mills said with a nod, almost an affirmation to herself. Do you see now? Anakin asked, taking her hand. And she did, in a way. Not the way Jedi used the Force to jump really high or knock things down, but the connection between living things, the way they were all tiny specks across the same massive universe. For the first time in possibly her entire life, she understood. Mel nodded, prompting Anakin to smile. I knew you would. Now, before we leave, he pointed to the open med pack on the ground. Anything else they might need?
1: Okay, so this part starts off with Mill Alabeth. She is allowing the Force to finally flow into herself. She can feel that the people on the planet that they are on, she feels their need, their desires for help. The Force doesn't scare her here, and she finds herself using the Force to give comfort, to help soothe those that she encounters. She had asked the clones to leave her behind, and they obeyed without question, something she wonders about while she is helping. This is when Anakin finds her, Anakin asks her why she didn't come back with the clones, and after she explains the situation to him, she thought that he was going to be mad at her. Then he tells her that they have to go. But first, let's use the Force to help those around them, showing her that he is not mad, but he understood her special gifts in the Force. And that's where this chapter left us. Now we are 24 chapters in and still nothing. So I'm just going to say this. I am starting to get mad at this point. And honestly, if I didn't want to find out what happens and I was okay with leaving everyone just hanging with this story, we would be moving on to the next book. No, I'm just kidding. It's a good bit of information on all the things that's happening at the beginning of the Clone Wars. But honestly, I feel like we are listening to a documentary and not a Star Wars book. Anyway, let's get to the quote for this week and it comes to us from Leonardo DiCaprio. He said, if you can do what you do best and be happy, you are further along in life than most people. I like this quote a lot. It tells us to find the one thing that makes us happy to do and work hard and become the best at it while being happy about doing it and we will find ourselves further than others in the race that we call life. My dad used to tell me and my siblings, find something that you love to do, something that you would do for free, figure out how to make money at it, and you will be a rich person. When I was young, I thought he was crazy. Like what the heck is that supposed to mean? If you like sitting in front of the TV all day, even if someone would pay you to do that, you're not going to get paid very much. So how are you going to be rich? But he wasn't talking about becoming rich in the sense of money, because money won't bring you happiness. He was talking about being filled with an overwhelming amount of happiness. A richness that can only come from enjoying what you do. But there was more than just that. If you are doing what you love to do, you will be the best at what you do. And if you are the best at something, people will pay you top dollar to do it. So not only will you have the richness of heart, but you will have a lot of money as well. Good critics get paid a lot to evaluate a TV show or a movie. You just have to find a way to do what makes you happy, then become the best at it, and everything else will fall into place okay that's all i got for this episode of the show join us next time for part 25 of star wars brotherhood and may the force be with you thank you for listening to star wars audio archives join us next time for more star wars adventures if you would like to listen to other episodes of the show you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory if you enjoyed the show we would greatly appreciate a five-star review once again thank you for listening and may the force be with you Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Sway Cast Networks. This show was produced by Quinn McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Degan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.